0: Hey, it's Tony Shang. Welcome to Why We Work, a podcast about people on a mission. Why they do what they do and how they do it. Both the stories behind the inspiration and their strategies that you can use. This podcast actually spawned from a series of projects that I started working on after I quit my job last December. And finding and pursuing a mission for myself was a big part of that decision to quit. I had actually had dinner with today's guest, Bing Chen, just before I left my last job, and it couldn't have been a more timely experience. He's one of the most passionate, mission-driven people I know. And despite being a Forbes 30 under 30 and founder of one of the hottest startups in entertainment, Victorious, Bing describes himself as this.
1: I love moving people emotionally, which I think has translated to my professional career in entertainment, media, and technology, where you can harness various platforms, whether they are narrative and therefore sort of qualitatively based or technology based and therefore quantitatively based and help to shape people's lives.
0: We talk about his connection to his mission of moving people emotionally to become the person they want to be, and his childhood dream of becoming the next Walt Disney, which, by the way, I expect him to achieve. You wanted to be Walt Disney?
1: Yeah. Actually, well, I actually want to be president since I was two, but it was, it was in the first Asian president. I was born in Tennessee, so it was it stuck in my head that I had the Bible Belt vote.
0: Bing has an endless supply of energy, passion, and dreams. It's fun to hear him describe his idealism and belief in what is possible while somehow remaining modest and humble. What everyday thing are you better than everybody else at?
1: (laughs) Not thinking that I'm better than everyone else at anything.
0: (laughs) This is just such a good episode with such a great person. If you want to know what passion sounds like, listen to this interview. Let's start with, tell me who you are and what do you do? Uh,
1: my name is, well, I, I guess the real question is, I think most people have this reaction to say they're a professional job, but um, I've, been try- I've been on a kick to not do that, so my name is Bing. Um, I was born and raised in Tennessee, which may or may not inform who I am and what I care about. Um, I, I love moving people emotionally, which I think has translated to my professional career in entertainment, media, and technology where you can harness various platforms, whether they are narrative and therefore sort of qualitatively based, or technology-based and therefore quantitatively based, and help to shape people's lives.
0: What, what, what shape is that taking?
1: Yeah, so I guess in a couple forms, um, one better than the other admittedly. Uh, the first is I'm co-founder and chief creative officer, so I tend all the business units of a company called Victorious. We are a mobile platform that we like to say powers the next generation of content networks. And we do so by transforming various media properties, whether they're digitally born stars, uh, content communities, film franchises, publishing houses, so forth and so on, into these premium interactive mobile apps. Think of them as if you had an app for super fans that combine the very best of a content network and a social network, and effectively is what we do. Um, on the other side, on something like my personal life, I've been trying to get back into sort of art writing and so forth. Um I would say that uh many people in the creative industry I've noticed are business-minded people with creative sensibilities. I'm actually the inverse of that. I'm truly a creative right brain person with business operational sensibilities. Um and so I've 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 admittedly neglected my right side of my brain for quite some time and so I'm trying to, you know, once again rehome that.
0: It sounds like you're working really hard. Uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> working hard, perhaps not smartly, but but certainly working long. Um, yeah, it's just been crazy, man. It's like I like I, I mean, everyone. I mean, I'm sure you know this, but everyone warned me that startup life was ten times busier, and I had no conception of that because I arrogantly thought I was so busy at YouTube. But holy shit, it is it is very 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 busy.
0: What what makes it so busy?
1: It's just a lot of stuff to do, um, and uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff, uh, which is actually it's a great problem to have. Um, but it's like all these people are hearing about us; they suddenly want me, meet. That already eats out time. Um, I actually this week I uh, I calculated how I'm currently spending my time. Um, great. And uh, the problem is, <laughs> the problem is I'm actually spending my time in a lot of things, which is which is not a good thing, as you know, you can't go deep. So I'm, I'm slightly shifting three different areas right now. What are they? Um, uh, they are marketing and PR. So those are two. Uh, I'm not spending nearly enough time on sort of like the brand and all that. Um, and then the final one, uh, which is, you know, sort of was half in my domain and is now coming fully in my domain is operations. I, I happily am working out enough, sleeping enough, and meditating enough, which is good.
0: You're meditating. Yes.
1: I just – so I started doing this – Actually, this is a new revelation. I just started this last week where I decided to become a morning person. Um, I've never been a morning person. Like I've actually been like trained since I was two to be a night person. Like my mom would keep me up till 11 o'clock at night when I was like two. Um,
0: <laughs> For what? Just
1: to play and shit, <laughs> <laughs> which is like in hindsight probably a terrible idea. But anyway, so, um, so I was talking to one of my buddies, Brian, and he basically was like regurgitating this blog post he read – it said, every, every person that wakes up early that you know is some semblance of successful, which is not the case for those that you know that stay up late. And that is true, right? Um, at least for me, anecdotally. And the reasoning is, for many of us, waking up early is completely unnatural, yours truly included. And by forcing yourself to wake up early, um, you effectively exert the first wave of urgency or agency, excuse me. And that agency perpetuates throughout your day and then, of course, an aggregate over weeks can lead to sort of a lifetime of greater agency confidence and so forth. And so I thought to myself, I was like, oh, well, fuck yeah, I want agency in my life. So I decided to wake up earlier, I now go to the gym every morning, which has been like amazing because I have so much more energy, I feel like i accomplished so much more, so forth and so on. No longer have an excuse not to go. Um, and so as part of that, I've also been meditating before I sleep just to get, you know, better overall peace of mind and, and better circadian rhythm. So, so that was the long, 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 long story of the meditation piece.
0: Dude, that's beautiful. I, I have, have you read this book, Daily Rituals? I have not. Oh, uh, you should read it. Um, maybe I'll get it for you. It's all of these people, like, I don't know, a hundred, maybe more. Um, this guy just researched all of their daily rituals mm-hmm. and then. Actually, if you want a shortcut, you could just Google like daily rituals and a hundred companies have made infographics out of his book. Is it, is it but, daily rituals,
1: how artists work.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm looking at it right now. Oh, it looks so sweet.
0: Yeah, it, it gets kind of ponderous if you read all of it because it's kind of the same thing, you know, just like person, person, person. But one trend, it comes through really clearly. And it's that tons of people will wake up really early and work. Some of them wake up at like 1 a.m. for a one hour or two hour sprint of work and then go back to sleep. Interesting. Wait, that's what you do or other people do? That's what other people do. Interesting. I've done it a couple of times, but I sleep too much to do that consistently.
1: I'm buying this right now, actually. Um, sweet. On. let me, uh, okay, purchasing. Okay, purchasing, very cool. I just bought it. Okay, sweet.
0: <laughs> I mean, I One I click order. Cereco.
1: I'm assuming you're, you're very well read, so I'm assuming it's good. Um,
0: dope. How did you, what, what series of experiences led you to um, Victorious? Wow, that is a
1: very intelligently phrased question. Um, Holy cow. Uh, I'd say maybe three things then. Um, One is I'd say I've always had, again, this sort of innate propensity to trying to mold and elevate people's emotional experiences such that they can advance themselves palpably in their lives. Um, And so since I was 12, this manifested itself as I wanted to be the next Walt Disney. I wanted to have my own cross-pollinating multimedia conglomerate, so so when anyone engaged with any facet, it somehow inspired them to do something better, whether that is to be the first person in their family to apply to college, whether it's to ask, you know, their girlfriend to marry them, whether it's to, you know give their mother the the best present for Mother's Day possible, whatever have you, right? Um, so I'd say that, that that sort of initial propensity is one. Secondly is, by virtue of that, I made the deliberate decision after college or during college to apply to Google for YouTube. I uh, was luckily chosen to, you know, enter Google. Um, and so I suppose my professional faculties were really honed there um as well as you know my industry knowledge and so forth uh, whatever little knowledge I may or may not have there and then finally um in the wise words of reverend will smith uh it's not what you know it's who you know uh i was connected to you know a, a nascent company called Victorious um by a mutual friend of the ceo uh and got brought on to you know build up sort of the business units um and so that's those those are those are the three
0: you wanted to be Walt Disney?
1: Yeah, actually, well, I actually want to be president since I was two. But <laughs> it was it was and the first Asian president. I was born in Tennessee, so it was it stuck in my head that I had the Bible Belt vote and, and all that. But um, it wasn't it wasn't out of vanity or power or anything like that. It was it was really out of you know significance. Uh, and I don't mean that by my significance, but my ability to drive significance in other people's lives. And I think at the time, I, I just assumed that that was the most poignant way one could do so. Um, and so I, I read literally every single third grade level book that I had at my disposal, uh, or, excuse me, presidential biography, um, I had at my disposal and quickly learned that basically every president that was good got assassinated or became corrupt. Um, <laughs> most every. And I remember allegedly I came home crying and, and didn't want to be that and so forth. And so that's what actually, when I was 10, 11, started to create the journey of, of what is that, that, that vessel that I actually want to, you know, embody and so i finally came to the realization that it was entertainment not actually politics or healthcare education that i thought i could most meaningfully move people um and have not looked back since
0: you more than almost anybody i've ever met has a closer connection to mission than um how how would how do you how do you articulate that mission now you might have done it when you described who you were but that's why i hear it again
1: so, the mission, so, <laughs> let me preface let me this by saying this may sound completely overzealous, self aggrandizing, and, and, and therefore foolish and blind, but um, I, I think that my mission in life is to deliver the meaning of life to people faster and more deeply. Um, and of course, there are myriad ways to do this, but um, I mean, it, it, it comes from many places. I suppose, first and foremost, At a very young age, you know, my father passed away, and when you lose literally one half of yourself, it forces you to put several things in perspective, um, the least of which is what your own purpose is before you go. Um, And so that was sort of the catalyst to thinking very introspectively about what is the meaning of life, how do people interpret this, why are we here, so forth and so on. Um, As I aged throughout teenage years and and got a little bit more sophisticated in, in my college years... Um, I went into sort of academia and, and tried to evaluate whether it's through Lockean or Ericksonian developmental theory, you know, what are, what is the greatest challenge for humanity? And regardless of whom you read, um, most people will tell you that the greatest challenge facing humanity, but also the greatest controllable challenge is the meaning of life. It is self-actualization. That's why are we here? And so I'm now badly and forgot your question, but um, which may or may not be an, a demonstration of how passionately I feel about this, but, um, But I I am convinced that that is, that is not my, I'm not the sole person that is responsible for delivering this or discovering it, but I certainly hope to be a meaningful portion, uh, of the group that tries to find this out. Um, I mean, even when you extrapolate to certain East Asian cultures, um, you know, Confucianism, part of Confucianism, not saying I agree with all of Confucianism, but part of Confucianism is predicated on if we each individually realize our full capacities, then society as a whole, you know, is enriched. Um, you know, the gestalt is at once, you know, stronger if its pieces are. And so, you know, I've I've just always just been fascinated by, it and almost in some ways forced to figure out what my own meaning of life was, and, and hopefully, you know, help others discover theirs too.
0: That's so, that resonates so deeply with me. That that's exactly what I was feeling when I was leaving my job, and I and and that I mean the, the way that you framed with Confucianism is um, so astute because what for, for me personally because what I was feeling was like if I'm this much more activated with this insight and like self awareness, then imagine what would happen to the world if more people felt the same That's right. That's right. It's almost
1: like every well, I shouldn't say this so grandiosely, but like I me mean, humanity has a tendency to think in antipodals, right? Black and white, like light and dark, hot and cold, so forth and so on. And all the more when you are in a you know prestigious job with a prestigious background, which is, you know, a color, of one you know, form one side of the spectrum or one side of the binary, and you go to the inverse. You know, forces you to sort of thrust every part of your will in the other direction. Um, so, so not surprised at all, you know, that you would have you would have been so introspective when you sort of left the stability of you know a great job at a great company.
0: What, um, what do you do each day to um, to further that mission of bringing more self? celebration, like self-actualization to the people around you?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's an easy answer. Um, there's at once a plan and there's at once no plan. Um, at once, the plan is victorious. Uh, we are not you know, trying to just build a mobile platform for creators and their communities and so forth, but really to dimensionalize who we are all wanting to become through the things that we love, which I'm convinced in this day and age is how we actually define ourselves, not just by our social graph, not by where we're from, but the things that we love and therefore the things that become us. So that would be the structured side of of how I try to sort of realize the mission. Mm. But then at once, too, and and perhaps this is being cheesy and and Gandhi-esque, is you can only be something or you can only you know create something if you are it. Uh, We are the change we want to see, right? And so I I wish I could tell you I have a structured plan where every morning I say, I will never eat alone and and I will always post something inspirational on Twitter and... (laughs) But, but there truly is no sort of regularity. I think partly because i that would be exhausting and, and annoying and I have candidly no time to make for that. But also I think it shows the the authenticity of, of the aspiration. Um where I you mean know, I'll give you an example of the Babylon more. my blog. So I have a blog at Bingchen.me and and my dirty secret is the blog is for no one but myself. Um I actually post things there, only things that I love and never want to forget. Uh, as sort of an anthology for my own life, so that when I'm, you know, hopefully 30, hopefully 40, hopefully 50, hopefully 60 and so forth, you know, I can actually look back and understand my state of mind, as well as the things that move me. Um, it, you know, it, and I just do it ad hocly. It's not like, you know, I'm not trying to build up a readership. I can't, really, do, don't give a damn about that at all. Um, you know, yes, it is well designed, but it's well designed because I'm an aesthete. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I just have a natural proclivity towards things that move people. Um, whether they're songs or quotes or others.
0: What's um, what's a song or quote or a movie or a book or something that's that's moved you tremendously?
1: Easy. So I'll answer in that order. You said song, movie, book. So song. My favorite song ever is Desiree's Kissing You, which is the theme to uh, Romeo and Juliet, the modern adaptation of Leo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. And the reason why, and this is, I think, consistent with my mission and, and the kind of food I gravitate towards and so forth is, I don't care about things that are incredibly simple. I don't care about things that are incredibly complex and ostentatious. I care about things that are fully realized. And the song, you're probably familiar with it because you're, you're a fellow softie, but the, <laughs> song, the song literally has like four lines. It's incredibly simple. But I love it because its music, the words, are so representative of the relationship that Romeo and Juliet have. Um, the song effectively is about, I want to kiss you, but I cannot and you hear these moans and so forth and they're not even sexual they're of they're longing of you are so close and yet so far away from realizing you know this other person this other soul your other half um and I love that because it's so painful and beautiful at once and, and all these sorts of things um so that's my favorite song um my favorite movie is ugh oh, I have two favorite movies but I'll give you the more I suppose thoughtful one is um is uh Memento by Christopher Nolan um I love Memento because it is also so well realized. Um, you know, you, he gives you guessing throughout the entire film, and then you realize at the very end he actually has interrogated amnesia. And it's like, holy shit, right? The entire thing was backwards, plus he has enterograde amnesia, plus all these other things happen backwards. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable, right? Um, and so I love that. Um, the... Um, also, the way it's produced and, and, and shot and all that is, is, is very sort of indicative of the fragmentation that one with interrogate amnesia would, you know, would face. You know, you see pieces of your life very quickly. Um, so that's that. Um, and then, uh, what was the last one? My favorite book. Yes, that's right. My favorite book. Um, I wish I could, I wish I could give you a book that I've actually read in the five, last five years. I admittedly haven't been as voracious of a reader in the last five years as I should be. But, um, the, the book, I don't know if this is my favorite book, but the book that I always remember is The Things They Carried. Uh, by O'Brien. And I love this book because structurally and also just the, the syntax that they invoke is also so reflective of what it actually is. And the, the basic motif is the things they carried are the things that you remember, right? And um, effectively, to, to spoil it at the very end, he goes through this, you know, incredible soliloquy or he, the protagonist, goes through this incredible soliloquy of all the things that he's remembered and, and carried and therefore the things he's remembered. And it stops with this dash um, this, this punctuated dash. And, um, and you realize that, it, that at once the story ends and at once it sort of continues infinitely. Mm. I think that's so beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's
1: nice. Uh, yeah, it's like so well realized. I mean, I'll, I'll give you one more as a bonus, like food, if I haven't bored you already. But my favorite food, if you ask me you know, what's my favorite cuisine, I always say rustic. And I say rustic because, because, and not because rustic is actually my favorite food, but just because consistently, rustic cuisine whether it's rustic roman italian pasta or rustic new american nouveau french um it just seems to be consistently well realized right so my favorite restaurant in san francisco is la conda um i would argue one of the best restaurants in the city but doesn't have a michelin right doesn't even isn't even michelin recommended but is rustic roman italian and their pastas i mean most of them have no no more than 3 ingredients where they just let the ingredients completely speak for themselves completely be themselves Right, um, you always have sort of the fullest, purest experience, and I love that. Right, um, I love that, and sort of you know everything I eat and, and hopefully do, and and all that sort of thing.
0: Was Loconda in San Francisco or Los Angeles? Uh,
1: San Francisco. It's on it's on Valencia between 16th and 17th in the Mission.
0: Huh. Yeah,
1: you should go. It's dope. I'll tell you what to order. Their carbonara is ridiculous. They actually make it the proper Italian way, and I say that somewhat as a charlatan because I'm not actually Italian, but but from what I know. <laughs> Italy, which is only two times, but whatever. It is. It is very authentic carbonara.
0: You, um, you, you're every time I've interacted with you, you've always been like teeming with energy, and and like seeming to be channeling this kind of like inspiration. How, do you consciously fuel your like in, your creative well, for lack of a better term, or like do you seek inspiration from your environment? So, no? I would say a couple of things.
1: i say I think this comes from. I think this comes from my DNA. I've always been obnoxious and just very. <laughs> I mean, the the, the cross we've talked about is I'm easily excitable, but that almost implies naivete, and I, I certainly don't think I'm naive. It's just I appreciate everything. Um, I, I think I. It's not even that I willfully go out of my way to identify the purpose and the interestingness of everything. It's just it's just a natural proclivity, right? Um, that was redundant. It's a proclivity, um, and so I don't know. I, I can't say that you know I, I go out of my way to. You know be energetic and I appreciate the compliment, of course, but I can't say that I go out of my way to do so or, or try to.
0: Was there ever a point in your life when you weren't like this?
1: No, and if there was, I don't remember.
0: <laughs> do you worry? Are you a worrier? I do worry, and I, I think that um, I worry about a lot of things.
1: Um, I mean, I worry, I, I'll give you a few. I, I worry about my mother. You know, my father passed away when I was young. She's alone in the big house. You know, she's approaching an age that most people would be grandmothers, and she won't be a grandmother for at least five more years, you know, assuming my and my sister's plans, you know, fall into place. <laughs> so um, I, I worry about her. I worry about her a lot. Um, sometimes it's informed and rational because she is old, she's alone, and so forth. And, and sometimes it's unfounded because she actually does have a great social life. Um, you know, I, I'm actually, candidly, not too worried about her company. But <laughs> I think we'll do fine.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I worry about myself and my personal life. I worry if I'll ever find you know, the right significant other or if I'm chasing someone that just does not exist um, because I've been disappointed so many times and, and perhaps disappointed others so many times. Um, so I do worry a lot. Um, it's actually one of the images of, of me wanting to meditate is, is just learning to let things go. Um, and, and I think I've, I've gotten better at that as we all do over the years with maturity, but I still do worry a little bit too much. Um, I care very deeply. I, I I don't know. I, I once have an ability in, in business and so forth to not care at all and be very mature and firm, but also at once on the personal side to care almost too much. Um, you know, I, I care when people don't hold doors. I, I care when, you know, I see someone who's raised by their grandmother who can't afford calls I, I care very deeply about that. Like I'm, I'm like almost crying by telling you this, right? Um, so yeah, I would, I would say I worry a lot for better or worse.
0: Do you, um, speaking of letting go, tell me about, Tell me about an important thing that you've removed from your life.
1: Ooh. Oh, this is a good one, and it actually will be antithetical to everything I just said. Um, and, and I'm going to phrase this in the absolute and then backtrack from there because it's not as absolute as it sounds. Um, I've gotten very good at not caring about a lot of things. And I don't want to say say that in sort of a you know cross callous way, but um, I used to care so much about so many things to the point where it was just driving me crazy. And it was just driving all this anxiety and so forth. And um, I finally come to the point, I think most of us do, according to BuzzFeed in our late 20s, that um, that I, I just don't care about things that should not matter, but often do for good reasons. Um, so, I mean, there, there are so many examples of this. Um, I don't even know where to start. There's so, so many examples. So I have gotten really good at that. Um, the The... the <laughs> The, the hip hop way of saying it is, like I don't give a fuck what other people think of me, um, which is largely true. Um, but that was not always the case.
0: How? What did you do to improve your ability to care less about these those things? I mean, I think it's a couple of things.
1: I think it's a is is just you know i I'm, I think most of us are not eh, I shouldn't even say that none of us are, are are cookie cutter. We're all snowflakes, right? And so, which is the irony that we all feel like we have to be. Templated snowflakes or, or cookie cutter, but I think it's just becoming comfortable with my quirks and my identity and so forth. Uh, I think it's partly the Malu, you know, evolving and I mean, yeah, I'll give you an example. Like when I moved from you know Shanghai to Orange County when I was you know thirteen year old, so formidable years, right, or formative years, excuse me, formidable and formative years. I was super insecure, right? Like I didn't look like everyone else, I didn't talk like everyone else, and so forth. Um, you know, now that sort of diversity is celebrated. So I think it's partly the Malu has just evolved. Um, and I think it's partly just maturity and, and I think embracing, you know, part of your identity, which is often, you know, the abyss and therefore abysmal. Um, and just embracing it and, and showing it the light to extend the metaphor. Um, and, and being comfortable with it and basking in the sun to extend the metaphor even more. Um, so yeah, I'm babbling now, not being helpful. Well, but...
0: t- t- talk to me about self awareness.
1: Oh, I, so, I... <laughs> I'll, 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 uh, I'll say something extreme. I feel like, uh, most of us try to be self-aware and are not at all, yours included. Yours truly really included. Um, I don't know. I think, um, God, there's so many ways to slice this. These are great questions. We should have dinner more often. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I miss having friends like this. Um, you can't find this in LA. It's hard. Um, how do I say this? I mean, I think as humans and, and whether you believe in God or whatever have you, you know, we will never be self-aware enough. We will never be fully conscious, if that makes sense. Um, so I suppose that's the way to look at it. You know, at, at once, you know, some people are very self-effacing and, and and think they know themselves and are introspective and can articulate that very eloquently and blah blah blah. But you know, for every one of those people, they also probably spend a good percentage of their time being completely unaware of everything around them and unaware of their place. Um, So, yeah, I think, um, I think this, this actually, this, this, this helped me realize what the universal meaning of life is, and that is to have purpose. The idea is not that we are all destined for something, but to just be and do that thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, that's, I think, the way I think about self-awareness, too, is it's not something you aspire to be, or something that you shy away from, or realize that you have gaps in your identity from. It's, it's just something that you do, and you don't ask questions. You just do it.
0: Yeah, I think meditation in Eastern philosophy ties in really, really, um, tightly with any kind of conversation about self-awareness because on the one hand, you know, that there is an infinite, like, you know, expansiveness around you that you can't possibly fathom because you're just a humble human on this, you know, on a blip of time and, um, you're, you're tiny and insignificant and, um and and unaware of the the powers that surround you and um doesn't have to be spiritual it's just like the truth you can't there's an infinite quantity of stuff that you don't understand relative to the finite amount of stuff that you do understand on the other hand like you you have absolute agency of all of the things that are directly around you like the, the that's why they celebrate i mean in my humble interpretation of buddhism and all of that um That's why there's such a deep focus on the moment because we can't possibly understand the path. We can't possibly understand the future. We can understand the moment to the greatest ability that we possibly can. And that's as much as we have. So a lot of the practice is to see more of that present moment, to like experience more of it, to understand more of it, to know how to um, take what we feel and channel it in helpful ways instead of uh, unhelpful ways. And I, I think the, that that's what I get from your your description of like you know self awareness as doing instead of self awareness as reflecting necessarily or observing, um, and that, that's been very true for me at least personally and, and over the last couple of months.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think uh, I'm not going to repeat it well, but <laughs> it, it was so complex, I'm not even going to be able to regurgitate pieces of it. But, but when when I said mm, that's well said, that was well said. <laughs>
0: What, a, um, okay, shifting slightly out of the, um, the infinite abyss. what's your best strategy to get work done?
1: Ah, glad you asked this. Um, I have two answers to that, and they're, they're competing. Um, one is just to do it now. That's the best advice I can give. It's actually something I'm working on. If you, if, you, if you pause on something and delay it, it will never get done. And if it does, it will never get done on time. The answer is do it now. So that makes me sound erratic, so let me counter that with to pre-plan thoughtfully. If you pre-plan thoughtfully, that will take care of 90% of headaches later on. I'm convinced of that. Um, but that would, those those two would be my sort of, you know, antithetical piece of advice.
0: Walk walk me through how you pre-plan.
1: So I'd say at a, at a top line, it's probably two things. One is just to be very aware of what your mission is, what you are, you know, when you, when you cry, when you laugh, when you strive, when you lose sleep and so forth, why? Um... And I think having sort of a core mission, especially while you're young, and knowing that, yes, it could evolve slightly, but it probably will not evolve fundamentally if you found it the right way. Um, and that is that is the operative language, found it the right way, not found the right thing. Um, then that will take care of 90% of your life's problems. Um, the second piece is, I don't know, like I'm, a, I'm like a militant taskmaster. Um, I, I track everything. It's all organized. I'm a huge color coder. I love spreadsheets, so forth and so on. Um, so, I love tracking things militantly.
0: found it the right way. What do you mean by that?
1: yeah, so the the trick is so let me let me juxtapose it with the the other side, which I think is actually the wrong thing. A lot of people think that you have to like find your proper mission because they think that, the, that they, they think that a mission is like a destination, an end thing, which is not the case right? missions evolve not fundamentally, but they do evolve. If you arrive at what the conclusion of your mission is in the wrong way, so for instance, like you're in a business class, I'm not implying that this is analogous with doing it the wrong way, but if you're in a business class and they give you this template for how to figure yourself out and you go down this path and then you arrive at option A when you should have arrived at option B, the method through which you arrive there is wrong, right? It's almost like the Grecian journey is more important than the destination. So what I'm implying is you have to figure out what is the proper method for you as an individual because we are all different, though we have our consistencies, Um, what is the proper method that you should use to discover and unlock your own mission, right? That is more important than figuring out what the actual mission itself is.
0: How do you, so, um, I'm, I'm a listener who is trying to figure out what my mission is. What, what do I do?
1: (sighs) Okay. So I have an exercise. Um, I have to give, Partial credit to, uh, a gentleman named, uh, proper and deserved, I should say, a partial credit to, um, someone named Dr. Charles Dwyer, who is the head of the Warden Executive Education School for quite some time. Uh, he taught a piece of this, but then I molded it based on, um, some of the undergraduate learnings I had from positive psychology, uh, as well as sort of other schools of thought. So, net net, you get a white piece of paper if you are, if you were born, um, before 1995. If you were born after 1995, you can use a computer to do this. As you could surmise, you basically try to ruminate through the platform that you were born into. Um, but I was unfortunately born before 1995, so I get a white piece of paper out. And it's important that it's white with no lines. Um, you get a pen out. Um, some people say I have to use blue because that stimulates brain. I have no idea if that's true or not or if it's bullshit. Um, but you get a pen out, and you write down every single thing you care about. And they can be as high-level qualitative as I love friendship, I love love. Or they can be as tactical as I love the fall season, I love comedy films, you know, so forth and so on. The second step is you bundle all the things that are similar together. So I'll give you an example. I love hanging out with my friends at the movies. I love grabbing lunch with my friends. Those are hanging out with friends. Same thing, right? Um, but you want to be careful not to overbundle. So if you were to say, I love going to Tokyo with my friends, or I love going to have lunch with my friends... I think those are actually somewhat different, because Tokyo is a fundamentally different milieu, assuming you're from the United States. So you bundle things that are similar without overbundling. Then third, and then this is where it gets really laborious, and if you do it right, it should take hours, literally, uh, and, and potentially days, depending on how you do it. Um, you then uh, justify why you like each of those things. And justifications can be qualitative or, you know, sort of more tactical. So I'll give you an example. I love hanging out with friends. Why? because qualitatively, I hate being lonely, or b, tactically, because I love learning from them, right, so forth and so on. And you, you want to be exhausted there. You then, as a fourth step, explain to yourself why those reasons matter. So why is it important to Tony that I am not lonely, right? And I'm assuming I, I would be Tony, right? Why does Tony not want to be lonely? Why does Tony love learning from friends? And you keep justifying this down, down, down in this sort of spider web until you find yourself repeating um, your justifications in the same thread. And when you get to the bottom of each of these threads, and this is the final fifth step, you'll find that there are, you know, two to three words or notions um, that are that are, you know, identical across the board. So mine were all about impact and sort of emotional capacity, and there there are more nuance in that, but that's basically it. So after you have sort of those words, you then sort of coalesce them into a single mission. So mine was how do you how do you sustainably impact people's emotions such that they can have palpable ramifications in their real life. Right. And so once you figure out sort of what that mission statement is, another class way to think about it is like what do you want to be written on your tombstone? Um, you figure out that and then you identify for young people in the industry that you care about that can help you, you know, realize said mission. Uh, for me, there is no question it was entertainment. Entertainment, more than any other industry, can more meaningfully and efficiently and frequently impact people's emotions. Um, after that, you then identify a functional role. So is it marketing that can help realize this, business development, so forth and so on? Um, when you, The reason you do it in that order is especially if you're a millennial or in Generation Z and, and, you know, once you enter the workforce. You know, on average, we spend, in our 20s, you know, no more than two years on in, in any given job. And so you don't want to work at a function too quickly. You want to look for an industry or a world that you will navigate around because we will have multiple functions in the same industry. Um, and in some cases, if you're Elon Musk incarnate, you'll have multiple industries as well. Um, but that's effectively the exercise. And then you, you know, once you figure out the function, you can uh, isolate companies and all that and then, you know, or, or search around. Um, And you go from
0: there. That that is an amazing exercise.
1: Well, who knows if it works still, but it's worked so far. (laughs)
0: Well, 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 I mean, I kind of, I just kind of ran through it in in my head because I've asked a lot of the same questions of myself and I learned something new about my understanding of my mission just like through really quickly skimming the steps that you were outlining. And I I love the way that it telescopes from like, you know, I'm not going to try to, to force a, a mission statement right away. I'm going to take stock of all the things that I already exist around me. Yeah. And then I'm not going to try to immediately juxtapose those things with jobs. I'm going to do like some deep assessment of these things and then not try to take what I learn and turn it into a role right away. It's like, okay, let me think about what spaces actually would provide the agency to actually have the impact in that, in that kind of way. I've never really thought about it that way. It's, it's always, like, that, that's a bridge that, um, I, I've never seen before. Oh,
1: cool. Well, cheers. Glad to be helpful.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. And is that something that, that professor at Wharton was teaching all the students?
1: Uh, he taught a piece of it, but the way that it sort of manifests itself, especially on, like, steps, um, five through finding a job, um, those are, well, I shouldn't say they're mine because everything is a composite of something, but, um, you know, I, I suppose I figured that out myself with others.
0: What everyday thing are you better than everybody else at? <laughs> uh,
1: not thinking that I'm better than everyone else at anything.
0: <laughs> what okay, wait, hold on. Okay. Let's ego let's ego a question. What everyday thing do your friends think you're better than them at?
1: Oh, it's, this is like such a self-aggrandizing question so the irony is people think i'm a huge show off because i'm very loud and passionate but the reality is like i'm actually very watching now i'm not because i have to say it but i i'm actually relatively modest um so this is a very awkward cringe-worthy question for me to answer but because you're a friend i'll try um i mean i don't know i think i think the first thing people is like i'm very passionate my energy is relentless i think um this I could actually tell you, when I left YouTube, I, I got like this card and people were like, basically the game was described being in like one or two or three words. And the the most prominent phrase was force of nature. <laughs> it could either be, as you know, incredibly destructive or liberating. Who knows? Um,
0: yeah, so and, may, may, and, and unavoidable.
1: May, I don't know, for better, once again, for better words. <laughs> who the who, who fuck knows? <laughs>
0: um,
1: oh, my, okay. Sorry, I probably should curse, sorry.
0: What? What would you what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Um, be be you're meant to be faster. What
0: what would that have looked like?
1: I would have quit college, I would have made my own baby, and by baby I mean I probably would have started making films and tandem some technology platform, figured out how to code or find other two wood, and just built and never looked back. Um, I would have said I love you more and not been afraid that like just because you date someone when you're 20 doesn't mean you have to marry her. I would have realized that. Um, I would have been nicer to my sister. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't want to say I did everything right. None of us do. But I, I did do a lot of things right when I was 20. Um, I did never eat alone. I did go out on a limb many times in many, many things and try to realize just a lot of different... Like, whether it's for jobs or personal life or whatever. Um, but yeah... And and Lord knows I would have been on my life plan the way I wanted to by 23, and and here I am five years behind my life plan already.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no ahead or behind. There's just that's, that's yeah. what they say, but your Asian self does not believe that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what was the question that I should have asked you?
1: Holy shit, these are really good. Um, I don't. I mean, once again, I'll like defect back to my like modesty. Like I. I'm, I'm flattered that you would even like, want me to participate in this, so, so I don't even approach it as, please ask me blank, 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 blank. So oh,
0: I, I have a question. Um, you interview a lot of people. What's your favorite interview question when you're assessing people for um, Victorious?
1: Ooh, I have two. Um, the first is partly a joke, and I only ask it sparingly, but it's, how many unicorns are there in the world? And I like this question because it's, it's clear, it's, I shouldn't say clearly, it is a market-sizing question, which of course has analytical capacity, but I also like it because it tests creativity. Because depending on who you are, unicorns actually do not exist as animate objects, right? Mm. Um, unless you're familiar with that deer in Africa that when it turns to its side, its two horns look like one, therefore it's the unicorn of Africa. But that's my favorite quantitative question. Um, there's only been one person to ever nail it. Her name was Ria Tabakawala. Um, she is at Google still heading up lifestyle for Google Plus in New York um, yeah, she's phenomenal, she's unbelievable um, not because of my question but because she's phenomenal um, the uh, The other favorite question which is by far the most important question and always the first one I ask is and, and it's especially true for Victorious is what do you most care about and what most moves you um, because the caliber of person that we hire at Victorious is, is so high that it would be a disservice to that caliber person if we could not deliver on their mission in life. Um, I often say that Victorious is going to be all of our lots full time jobs, and I don't just mean that financially, but sentimentally but and emotionally. And so the way that people are able to lucidly articulate their dreams and their passion and mission um, is, is the most important thing to me. Um, and it helps me very clearly orient if there is a role at Victorious for them, and if so, exactly how we can mold it around them as opposed to force-fitting them into it.
0: Where can people find out more about you and Victorious and anything else that you'd want to plug? Uh, Victorious right now, victorious.com.
1: Uh, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming in the pipeline um, that will hopefully be noisy enough that the world will, at least some of the world, will take notice. Um, and then me is, I don't know, wherever it's comfortable. So my blog is at bigenshed.me, all of my social accounts are Bing Chen. So, Twitter.com slash Bing Instagram.com slash Bing Facebook.com slash Bing LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Bing So, that's, that's sort of that.
0: Thank you so much, man.
1: Cool, man. No, thank you. I'm so nervous about how this turned out. I sound like an idiot.
0: I, I loved it. That's all this week. Special thanks to Slander and Alfonte for the music featured in today's show. You can find both of them at their respective SoundCloud profiles. Special thanks to Bing for taking the time to do this episode with me. If you want to learn more about Bing, check him out on all the social networks as Bing Chen, or on his blog at bingchen.me. And learn more about his company, Victorious, at Victorious.com. If you want to learn more about me, tonycheng.com, and communicate with me on Twitter at tonycheng thanks all you wonderful listeners for listening and have a lovely rest of your day see you next time